Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your new source for all types of podcasts. We are looking for new podcasts to add to our channel. So if you ever wanted to start a podcast, reach out to us via Twitter, DM, or just add us at SND Podcast. Or message us on Facebook or even email us at SNDPodcast at gmail.com. Once you reach out to us, we'll tell you the best way to create a podcast. All types of podcasts are welcome. So anything you want to talk about for a podcast, just let us know. No idea is a bad idea. We're already on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, and all other podcast apps. All you have to do is record the podcast. So hit us up soon so you can start your podcast now. Rising report, it's that Apple report. It's the Rising Apple report. Rising report, it's that Apple report. It's the Rising Apple report. Yeah! Hello out there to all you Metsian folk. This is the converted Mets fan Sam Maxwell and you are here with a very special winter meetings edition of the Rising Apple Report. And uh, there, there's so much going on right now that I'm just going to get right to it with our guests for the evening. And uh, first I'm going to bring on uh, somebody very familiar with the Rising Apple podcast and that is uh, uh, Mets Musings, Gary Mack. What's going on Gary? How you doing? Hello, Sam, and, and thanks for inviting me on tonight. And, and uh, glued to the TV to see if there's any deals made, but uh, none so far for our Mets. Well, I you know, I think before we definitely heard a lot that there was going to be, uh, as you say, the foundation settling, if you will, for, for uh, um, these winter meetings. So if nothing happens, I think that, that Sandy Alderson's still getting a lot of work done. I think we've... We're, you know, we're, we're at the point uh, in his tenure that we understand that about Sandy Alderson. And also somebody very, very familiar with the Rising Apple Report podcast is uh, Faith and Fear in Flushing. And, and honestly, so much, uh, so many more uh, items uh, uh, before and coming uh, that he will, uh, he will certainly shamelessly plug. And that is Greg Prince. Greg, welcome to the Rising Apple Report. Hello, Sam. Hello, Gary. Glad to be here. So uh, uh, since there's so much going on with the winter meetings, uh, you know, I, th I think the first thing, since this is the first time we've uh, heard from you guys since uh, Johannes Cespedes signed, and I'll start with you, Greg. What was your initial reaction when you heard it for, I, I guess it's, it's like uh, Sandy Alderson said, it was the, the uh, third time we've gotten together after two legal separations. <laughs> uh, I was delighted, and they could... Have Yoannis Espinus is still a Met press conferences every week until opening day, and that would make me very happy. Uh, even though, yeah, yes, there there was a serious sense of uh, of deja vu 
uh, or deja vu all over again, if you'll excuse my <laughs> punning. Um, you know, it's like, what what did, what did we do for fun before we re-signed you know, Cespedes? Because it seemed like that was that was the highlight of this offseason, the highlight of last offseason, the highlight of the season before. Um, it's great to know that he wanted to stay. It's great to know the Mets were capable of keeping him. Uh, the numbers are mind-boggling in a sense, you know, based on what you're used to. But I no longer understand what the numbers mean anymore because baseball seems to be a healthy enough industry. Uh, thankfully, there was no, you know, no lockout, no work stoppage, nothing like that. They got their basic agreement together. The Mets apparently are, I'm sure they're operating within certain constraints, but you know, you think about it, a few years ago, the idea of giving a guy, what, what is it, 110 over four years, um, that kind of money was just prohibitive. And now, you know, the Mets were able to do it last year, were able to rework it, you know, keep him here an extra couple of years. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, the Mets didn't take some kind of weird hard line against Cespedes. I'm glad Cespedes didn't say, well, let, let me see what I can get better somewhere else. Uh I, th- I think the two parties make a lot of sense for each other, and you know I don't know what else the Mets are going to do between now and April third, but uh, this was a hell of a start, and really, uh, if they just uh, can can heal the sick, uh, <laughs> heal the lame, as it were, the people who they were missing last year, and and go in more or less with this crew, uh, that's that's a I think a good good place to start. Uh, Gary, I'm, I'm going to ask you a broad uh, question. Where, where do you where do you see Johannes Cespedes and, and just the, the last two years in the context of Mets history? Wow. Uh, well, he, he's got to be up there. You know, we seem to remember the uh, the the folks that that got us into the playoffs and the World Series. They become the icons. They become the uh, lifelong favorites, and, and I think. In this short period of time, I think he's he's entered that realm. Uh, may not be there. He might have one foot in, one foot out yet, because uh, the story is still yet to be written. But uh, he he's definitely got a good start to it. I think it was a very popular decision, naturally, to bring him back. Uh, they're selling Cespedes jerseys like crazy. People love this guy, and... I think he realized that. I don't, I really don't think he had any intention of going anywhere else. I think he just he wanted to, to stay here, and um, naturally, somebody overwhelmed him. He'd really be in a corner. But I think he wanted to be here. And you know, uh, when Greg was talking about the the money, I got to thinking, it's really, in a way, it's really a two year deal in a way because had they kept him. They would have had he not opted out. I should say he would have had to. They would have had to pay him for those second two years of the other contract, and they were roughly a little less than what he's be getting on this contract. So they really didn't add that much for two years, and then they'll go from there. You know, then they'll have to pay the money, but a lot can happen in two years. Unfortunately, I don't know. I'm not sure David Wright's going to last for two more years. Who knows? He may, he may not. Um, and that, that would be a big chunk of money coming off. Grandison's money comes off. Bruce's money comes off. 
Um, so there's going to be money available. I know the pitches are going to be available. They're going to have to do something with them, but they're kind of spaced out as well. Uh, with Degrom, uh, Harvey's probably the first up, then Wheeler, and then Degrom, and so on. But I think there's a, a little bit of a spacing there. So, and I think that's what they're looking for. Now, now we sit and wait to see uh, um, if they can get rid of Bruce Endor Grandison. And I would be almost be inclined that if you can make the deals or deals, I get rid of both of them. Greg, where are you on that? That's a good segue. Uh you know, I mean, Granderson has been a really important part of, of this franchise for the last three years. Uh, that said, five-sixths of the way through the season, it felt like, you know, we had seen the best of Curtis Granderson, and then he turned it on in September. Uh, you wonder how much he has left. Uh, Bruce is the kind of guy... You always kind of look to get at the trade deadline, or at least it seems that way, because of the last two years, they've uh, either looked at him or went out and gotten him. Um, you know, Gr- Granderson is more a matter of, of feeling attached to, with the idea that, you know, it's just the one year left, and you don't know how much he has left. Bruce, I, I think there's a real question mark. I mean, Bruce could either be, you know... Th- a guy you would want batting behind Cespedes or is a guy who maybe you're just just as well off cutting your losses with? Um, no, I, I think what, what becomes an interesting question is, you know, where is Conforto in all of this? Um, you know, I can understand a reluctance to even shop Conforto, but, you know, Right now, you've got Cespedes in left field, and that's probably going to be the situation for the next few years. You know, what do you do with Conforto? Do you say, okay, you're a center fielder, even though you're not a center fielder. You're a right fielder, even though you're not a right fielder. Can is is he the is he the first baseman of the future? Um, I, I guess we're not. You know, I guess we're not done yet. I guess somebody is leaving. Um, I just have a hard time picturing the match without Granderson, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, whereas Bruce just seemed like a guy who was here for the short term. You know, there's always that guy you get in the middle of the year or, you know, in August or maybe even September, and then you turn around and he's still here in the off season. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. <laughs> and Bruce is kind of that guy. But, you know, yeah. I, 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 again, I, I think I would be like just very – this this would be cut and dry without the last week, 10 days of last season because Bruce had done nothing and he was sort of in Jason Bay territory and, you know, thanks for coming, goodbye. And then he turned it on and it's like, oh, yeah, this, this is what this guy can do. You, so, yeah, you were starting um, to see like Twitter things that that were making puns regarding uh, uh, yeah, Jason Jason uh, Bay Bruce or something like that. Yeah, it was impossible not to because he was just not getting anything done. But again, that was you know he turned it on, and if you can get the guy to turn it on a couple of times a year, you know that, that that's a great that's a great thing to have. Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot to settle on this team. I mean, even though. Even if we know who most of the personnel is, as, as Gary said, we don't know what we're going to get out of Wright. Um, I assume Duda is healthy again, but, you know, he's, he missed most of the year. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go down the whole roster because I'm sure you have, you have other topics you want to get to, and, and maybe those are some of them. But uh, this, is, this is a long way, as, as, as I usually like to have, of, of not really answering the question because I'm really not sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I really do... 
I really would love to see what Bruce could do over, you know, a season. And that's all it is, is one season. And I really don't want to see Grinderson go. There was a uh, terrific article uh, by William Powell in the Times, I guess, a week or two ago, just, you know, following Grinderson around as he does all this charitable stuff in his hometown of Chicago and talking about the kind of influence he's had on the team and, you know, just, just what a great professional he has been. And... I just hate to bounce guys like that. And, you know, again, he had a fantastic September, and you wonder. And, and you know, he played center field, too. And mm-hmm. we were sort of, you know, kicking to the side. And, and, and was you know, better Juan than Ligaris. I expected him to be. Yeah. And Juan Lagares, who was the center fielder of the future two years ago, is sort of an afterthought now. But, you know, do you want him to be an afterthought? Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, we're sort of like waking up to the fact, oh, yeah, they're, they're just like the end of last year, there are a lot of outfielders. What the hell do we do with them? Well, there's still a lot of outfielders, and you know, I guess the winter meetings and however long it takes, you know, will will help solve that question. But uh, you know, after after two very good years in Metland, um, I like these guys. I like our players. So right. uh, I I don't have a I don't have a really good answer right now. You know, Lucas Duda. I, I feel like Lucas Duda. And Jay Bruce are very similar players in terms of that all-or-nothing uh, type of mentality. You could you could argue that Lucas Duda is a boring player until he makes contact with the baseball. I mean, uh, it, you know, I was watching some of the 2016 highlights. I was actually uh, particularly watching, and of course, seven of these home runs were, were grouped at the beginning. I was watching a... Uh, I, I, um, God, I forget how long it took, but it was 218 home runs from this 2016 season. It was every home run. And just watching some of those dudes home run, particularly that one in Philadelphia, it's it's fun to watch him play. When he when he's going strong, he is a fun hitter to watch to watch play. Uh, with Granderson, I agree with you. I think he you know, people some people are like, Well, why do you want to deal with how how streaky he is? Um, obviously, we're, we're kind of talking. These three players, Lucas Duda, Jay Bruce, and Curtis Granderson, are all very streaky players. It's just that Granderson has this knack for con- – he continuously makes excellent defensive decisions. Uh, um, and, and center field, he was substantially better than I ever thought his 35 bo- body would play because I remember him making some spectacular playoff uh, 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 plays not only for – uh, the Yankees, but for for Detroit and of course the Mets uh, this past in, in 2015. Um, so I would definitely be inclined to trade Bruce because I, I like keeping the streakiness that you're familiar with. Uh, you know, due to they they really seem the clubhouse really seems to get behind uh, uh, sharing due to you know, due to his antics. And, you know, you got Curtis Granderson with his Instagram. And, and if you notice during all those home runs at the beginning of the year, he was using the iPad to film Lucas Duda going around the bases and coming into the dugout. <laughs> so there's something, there seems to be not only something about Curtis Granderson with this team, but also Lucas Duda and the way other players react to him and his low keyness. They, they like, they like kind of getting a rise out of him because he's so low key, um, in a good way. Um, I, I, I'm just seeing that Wilson Ramos signed a two-year deal for $12.5 million. Now, obviously, Dang. he was he was uh, uh, coming off an injury. I believe he, he, it was a knee thing uh, at the end. He was having the best season he's ever had. Um, Gary, I'll start with you. At, at, at a two-year $12.5 million deal, obviously, it, it's coming out that they'd like to give Travis one more chance to get his his bearings straight. But at that money, would you have liked to take a, a, a risk on that? 
I would, but it's not my money. But uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, with Ramos, uh, this is the second big knee injury. You don't know how he's going to come back. He's in a position where the knees are important. Trust me, I was a catcher. My knees are shot. I've had one replaced. The other one's on its way out. Um, it just, uh, it, it's a tough, tough position to play with bad knees. And uh, I don't understand it really going to Tampa because of uh, the turf down there. And that's not good turf either. So, uh, you know, the artificial, he's it's like playing on concrete. So he may have some problems down there. But um, I, I thought I wanted to take a shot. I think they missed a the boat. And and I was no fan, and, and you, know, you can go to Mets Musings and hear it, of getting Jay Bruce. That, to me, was a wasted trade. They should If they were going to give up Herrera, I would have gone in. LaCroix was the guy that should have gotten last year. That's the man he should have got. He would have been a perfect fit with the catching and the, the talent and everything. He would have been a perfect fit. And I don't know. They didn't want to give up somebody. I don't know who it wasn't. Rosario. It was. I, I forget now. Maybe uh, Greg or, or Sam. Maybe you remember what the, the they said the likely deal would be, and they the Mets didn't want to do it. I think that was a big, big mistake. I would have rather had Lacroix. It would have solved a lot of problems this year, last year, and uh, but. They did. They got Bruce and and uh, and I'm with you guys. I'd like to keep Grandison, and definitely Bruce is the guy that's got to go. But Grandison has got more value, and it seems that teams are interested more in him than they are Bruce. But uh, getting back to Ramos, yeah, it would have been worth one million. Yeah, it, it's. I saw it right there, and and it it's interesting. I mean, you know, obviously that six million dollars is going to probably you know going to have to go to somewhere else. You're trying to move the thirteen million. Uh, if you look at a lot of the arbitration uh, eligible people, you see, uh, you know, uh, Addison Reed is about to get I think like a five seven million dollar raise. So, uh, you know, that's going to be interesting um, uh, to see how how the budget all plays out, how they rearrange this money. I, you know, and Cespedes isn't going to be getting this year. Cespedes isn't going to be getting his thirty million. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see. You know, I think he's getting like twenty two. So I'm going to be interested to see how it all plays out. Uh, what you know, and, and this brings up uh, Travis Darno. Uh, you know, with, with the catcher position, Greg, what what is your opinion right now on the direction the Mets need to go, regardless of what they're it looks like they're doing? You know, this I suppose is Darno's I feel funny saying it but a guy who's what 27 years old uh, is not Darno's last chance um, you know he has yet to have a full season in the majors he has missed significant time in each of the three seasons that were supposed to be his you know first full season uh, you know by now he's, he's we no longer use the phrase prospect or Certainly not a rookie, and uh, you know, com- compared to, to me and Gary, he's certainly young. But uh, in baseball terms, um, he's kind of kind of been around with, without really putting it all together. Uh, you know, one of 
one of the most remarkable things, I suppose, that happened in 2016 is that the Mets got where they got with really very little contribution from Travis Darno. Uh, certainly very little offensive contribution, and it's really hard to say that his, his defensive game really progressed. Uh, you know, Rene Rivera saved their bacon on more than one occasion, and all kudos to Rene Rivera and, and what he meant, especially to Syndergaard. Uh, that is not who you expect to be a starting catcher unless he is just, you know, incredibly defensively proficient. I mean, if you if you have one of those teams that has like seven great bats, you can afford a glove. You can afford a Ray Ordonez to be your shortstop, that sort of thing. Mets aren't quite there, and Rivera isn't quite that catcher. And this is not really about Rivera. Uh, you know, if you if you have the opportunity to upgrade, uh, if you could have made that Luke Cry deal, uh, you know that 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 there unfortunately is is uh, a ship that has sailed. But um, that would have been great. Uh, you know, I liked Darno a lot of had a lot of faith in him until the last couple of months of last year. Uh, I, I hope that he has the chance, you know, or you know, he will have the chance to prove himself. I, I hope it works out. Uh, but this is, you know, 2017, I think, is, is the proving ground, because otherwise they've got to get serious and, uh, you know, look for a full-time catcher if it's not going to be Travis Darnell. And, uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Sam, they really don't have anyone in the minors in, uh, unless you go down to double A and... and uh, you're talking about Tomas Nido, and and even with him, I mean, he didn't. He hit okay last year, eight uh, league uh, batting title, but that's really the first year he came out as a you know a real good hitter. So they're kind of thin in that department. Um, but I, I, I'm with Greg. I like uh, I like Darno. He seems like a good guy. But he's got to try to stay healthy. And uh, I, I'm interested to see what happens, though, now that they have a real, um, we're getting a, 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 a real catching coach now with the uh, addition which of we lost, uh, which we lost, uh, Bob Jaron. Exactly. And, and he, he seemed to uh, go backwards, Darno, once Gehring left. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, acts in favor or not of uh, Darno and Plawecki for that matter as well. So that'll be interesting to see. And, uh, and the other and really, hand, really quickly, uh, his name is Glenn Sherlock because I know I cut you off right. before you said the name. No. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and and the other part is his health. If he can stay healthy, I mean, uh, uh, see, get a lot of freaky injuries and stuff, and you know, it'd be nice to see what he could do in a healthy. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, and, and he's got, I was going to say, you know, he still has a relatively, you know, I don't want to say unsettled, but, you know, still a relatively young staff mm-hmm. to uh, to help nurture. And, you know, guys who are coming off, other than Syndergaard, guys who are coming off question mark type of years, if, if for no reason, then they missed significant time or will be battling back from injuries that may have held them back, uh, you know, late in the year. So, you know, that, that that's, you know, one of the things I appreciate about Rivera, and I hope that Darno, with so much of his own offense to worry about and establishing himself, is still that guy 
to work with Harvey and DeGrom and Mats as they all kind of, to varying degrees, have to kind of come back mm-hmm. in 2017. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big job. And uh, I, I hope Darno is up to up for it. So where does this leave uh, Kevin Plavecki in all of this, Greg? Uh, you know, I have to be honest. Until uh, well, Gary mentioned Kevin Plawecki, I'd sort of forgotten that he existed, <laughs> uh, which is not Kevin Plawecki's fault. Uh, it's just that I, I have just not not been thinking about him. You know, this was a guy who they picked in the first round a few years ago, and you know, is not an offensive weapon. We've seen that. Um, you know, listen, he helped he helped keep a team in contention in 2015. Didn't really do much in 2016. Uh, I guess he has, you know, the same chance Darno has, at least, uh, you know, to a certain degree. He's he's not the, you know, he's he's not the starting catcher on paper, but if he can, you know, work work with the new catching coach and you know impress some people, uh, maybe there is a role for him. Um, you know, again, this, despite the, the love fest I've been having with with Rene Rivera, I mean, I don't necessarily think, you know, he is you know, backup catcher for life. So certainly uh, Ploiecki has the chance to, at the very least, make the team. He possibly has the chance to, uh, you know, become trade bait as well. Uh, or maybe Darno becomes that guy. I really don't know. Uh, I have not thought that much about Ploiecki, though. And, you know, again, two, two years of, you know, middling to be kind production and, you know, decent defense, but, you know, not, not, nothing that has really opened a whole lot of eyes, I don't think. I'm looking up now with uh, Rene Rivera what his his deal was with men on. Because didn't it seem, Gary, that he would just, he would really come through in the clutch, this guy? Just one of those kind of players that might not, it might not be a shiny batting average, but that batting average is going to go a long way. Yeah, it, it seemed like he got a lot of key hits. Maybe not, you know, consistently, but... I seem to remember some big hits there. Um, I and I looked at the numbers once a while ago, and they really weren't that outstanding. But it it, it just seemed like he seemed to make the big play. He got either a hit to keep uh, uh, an inning going, or he, he uh, drove in a key run, or he threw out a guy trying to steal in a key situation going down the stretch. So. Um, yeah, you know, I, I it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, he just signed, so he'll be back. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see between Pulwecki and Darno. Pulwecki was hit hitting pretty well in AAA when he was down there. And you know, it's it, when you're a young player, you got to play. And you know, bringing him up and jerking him in and out of the line, and they seem to do this a lot to some of their young guys. And, and Maybe that's why some of them don't pan out. You know, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, I'd like to see Plawecki get a real shot at it. And but what do you do? You got two young guys, and neither one are producing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Travis Darno, you got to give him the chance to, because we know that he can be a number five hitter at his best. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's really, it's really a shame because a lot of it does seem like to just be pure. Uh, unluck, you know, just pure bad luck. Although at the same time, you know, I you do have some weird bone-related injuries, it seems, and maybe he's maybe he's just not, you know, not everybody's built the best. Uh, um, 
So going back really quickly uh, to Rene Rivera, looking at the baseball reference. So he had his overall line was 222 with a 291 batting average and a 341 slugging. Uh, he had 26 RBIs, which is a, a you know I'll take 26 RBIs and 207 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. And going down to some of his splits, um, Greg, how many RBIs do you think that Rene Rivera had on the first pitch? <laughs> Uh, gosh, I have never thought about that one. <laughs> um, I can't decide by by your tone of voice whether I I should assume that they were all on the first pitch or that none of them were on the first pitch. So I'm going to take a pass. I have no idea. Gary, go ahead then. Oh, I I'll say uh, just for the heck of it, I'll say thirteen. Okay, eight. That was close though. Oh. Okay. Uh, he had he had in thirty six plate appearances he had eight RBIs with a three eighty two batting average and a three sixty one on base percentage uh, wow. with the first pitch. Um, okay. It it basically you get a you get a, a two strike count on Rene Rivera. He's most likely not going to come through. So it's it seems with Rene Rivera <laughs> you want to you know you he, you know if you're him you got to try to make contact before that two strike count. Um, see the ball hit the ball. See the ball hit the ball. Exactly. Exactly. Head. It's a 382 batting average on on first. I mean, he only saw, you know, 36 plate appearances that he he swung at uh, the first pitch, or well, yeah, yeah, exactly. The 36 plate appearances where he swung on the first pitch. Uh, I'll take a 382 batting average if you think you can you can get it done and and drive a run in uh, then. So, um, so so uh, Greg with the the uh, relief area you know obviously you know unfortunately with your uh, familiar he's going to be suspended we're not sure exactly how many games for domestic violence uh but it's going to happen and the mets are certainly playing uh the game the the, the off season game the way you know thinking about like thinking about it like that excuse me um so where do you where would you like to see them go uh, no matter, you know, which way they're going to, you know, no matter how many different kinds of, how many games Eurus Familia is going to be getting coming up. In terms of a closer? In terms you of mean? just a relief piece. Well, I mean, I, I suppose you start with Addison Reed for as long as Familia is out. Uh, you know, he did a fantastic job in the, the setup role. Is certainly has the... Uh, the, the background as a closer, so you could certainly, you know, I want to get, hopefully you could, I, I, I keep wanting to say get away with it. I, I don't think that's a, I, I don't necessarily think it's it's that great a drop from Familia to Reed based on what we saw last year. But of course, if you bump Reed to the ninth inning, then somebody's got to take on the setup role. And that's where you're, you know, sort of diluting the brand, if you will. Um, again, it's only been now; it's been almost two full years of Hansel Robles. Uh, a lot of talent, uh, still figuring things out, is is my impression. Uh, do you want Hansel Robles uh, pitching the eighth inning of a of a tie game or a one run game? Uh, you know, he, he may be ready for that. Um, you know, there was a time uh, when we didn't think Mejia was going to be disappearing. That, yeah. uh, you know, well, what are we going to do in the eighth inning? We, we've lost uh, Jerry's Familia. Well, you know, they got by and they won a division title. So, you know, relief pitchers just have this way of, or, or I should say, you know, 
bullpens, the whole, the whole relief core, have this way of sorting themselves out, backfiring and sorting themselves out again. So other than, you know, Reed and Robles, I think you, you assume you go in with those guys as your constants. And, you know, we kind of put an asterisk, unfortunately, next to Familia's name and certainly hope first, first and foremost that everything with his, in his life and with his family, with his relationship, uh, with his significant other, uh, that all of that, uh, every, everybody is in a good place. And, um, you know, you, you kind of put that on, on another level, I suppose. But from a baseball standpoint, you know, we, we hope Familia comes back and is able, you know, to pitch either the eighth or ninth inning. So we're talking about three guys, basically, that we kind of know are going to be late inning guys. I don't know what else to say about the rest of the rotation, or excuse me, the bullpen, because, you know, you've got theoretically seven starting pitchers, is it, based on what we saw last year? And you had a bunch of guys who, you know, looked good for moments. You know, Josh Schmoker comes to mind. That guy, there were times where like, God, ah, this guy is the answer. This is the lefty we've been waiting for. And then it's like, oh boy, Josh Schmoker is not ready. Um, you know, they've, they've talked about Wheeler in that position. I, I don't know. He doesn't seem like, to me, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who I would want coming out of the bullpen because he doesn't necessarily throw strikes and and work thriftily and who knows who he is now yeah exactly josh edgen is still hanging around and he he showed you know both sort of like smoker you know he showed like gee edgen is still pretty good and oh god edgen is a you know a huge question mark uh you know does seth lugo go back to the bullpen from whence he came where he wasn't really all that impressive which is what made his his starting uh assignments uh, that much of a revelation so and, you know, you got guys like Sean Gilmartin, Eric Goodell still kicking around. Um, you know, somebody we haven't thought of or heard of is probably going to surface between now and opening day and between, you know, now and next August 31st. So, um, you know, your back end looks okay. Um, I'm willing to trust Robles to a certain degree. He'll be happy to hear that from me. And, um, <laughs> you know, but... We, That's we, where I'm going next. Coming, yeah, <laughs> com, com, coming off... Uh, you know, coming off as many injuries as they are in the starting rotation, you know, we, we don't know how many innings. Remember last, last spring, you know, I, I remember Ron Darling going on about, oh, you know, you can, you can, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically you can pencil these starters in for seven innings, and then you hand it off to this guy and that guy. Well, nope, hardly anybody won seven innings uh, as a rule last year, and everybody kind of coming off of these, you know, question marks surrounding them. Um you're going to need, you know, it's always amazing how many relief pitchers you run through. So uh, it's to be determined, as best I can say. uh, Gary, I I was going to say before you, you you know, and uh, piggyback on this, uh, you know, definitely bring bring your point up. Uh, I think it's basically related. But with Hansel Robles, I I think uh, it's less sensationalized than the Travis Darno issues. Uh, but would you say this is kind of a make-or-break year for Hansel Robles? They, you know, I think both the fan base and the franchise uh, really wants to see this guy get a lot more consistent coming in. Well, I think that's that's the key. I think it's the consistency factor. He's he looks lights out at at times, and other times uh, he he's hittable. But uh, he's twenty six. I guess it's kind. Of, I, I wouldn't say it's definitely a make-or-break year for him. 
Um, usually the 27 is probably the age you would really, and, and he's shown something, you know, he, he's not a complete loss. He, he showed something. It's, it's a matter of consistency with him. And, and that's something that you have to work on. And like Greg said, bullpens, they fluctuate. So one year they can be awesome. The next year they're going to be absolutely horrible. So it's, it's really hard to tell. And, and that's why they don't want to give a contract to more than one year. But I was going to say that um, to quote a former president, we don't have, well, to paraphrase a former president, we don't have Logan Verrett to kick around anymore. So, oh. <laughs> what, what president brought Logan Verrett up? <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard Nixon, so they don't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. So I was just kind of paraphrasing that. But anyway, um, uh, you know, I kind of think Verrett got a kind of a, um, not a raw deal, uh, but... I think when he was traded, some of the remarks on Facebook were a little bit unkind. This guy last year, I think it was, the beginning of the year, was the best pitcher they had. He was 3-0, and uh, was starting, and, and doing a good job for them. I think it was last year. Yeah, no, you, you, he was he was versatile Verrett, you know? I mean, And, and uh, you know, he ran, he had a rough time then. Um, and he was in and out of the lineup, so... Uh, you know, I always felt I felt bad that day, a couple of weeks, last week, whenever it was, whenever we got traded to the Oreos and some of the remarks that I didn't think that was fair. I thought, you know, he did well when he was here. He must have did well enough for somebody to trade for him, even if it was for cash. I mean, uh, but um, but again, uh, going back to Robles, uh, it's a matter of consistency and. Um, I I think he's going to show more this year. I think he's going to buckle down. He looks like a hard worker, and I think he's going to show he can handle that job. And you know, they're going to need somebody uh, with familiar out. Can somebody tell these guys not to drink on Halloween? I mean, two right? years ago, oh it was Jose Reyes. This last year or this year, it was familiar. I mean, come on, stay away from the booze on on, on Halloween. That's what the candy corn is for. <laughs> they and the pumpkin <laughs> pie or whatever. <laughs> no, nah, it, it's. I was saying this on another podcast, not to go too much into it, but but um, you know, both uh, Jose Reyes and Yuris Familia, all you hear about is how jovial they are. So. Uh, um, it, it is very, very strange uh, that that yeah, I think it says a lot about booze, and it also just might say a lot about you know maybe not handling certain situations correctly. I mean, you you you're coming from uh, with Jose's uh, instance in particular. It seemed like everything was basically building up from from the time that he left the Mets to that Halloween. It seemed like everything was building up negatively for him. And I with, with with Euris Familia, you kind of have all that drama about this idea that he's not, he wasn't uh, um, uh, clutch in the playoffs, uh, coming out of the wild card game. Um, so maybe he didn't handle that uh, all the best. And, and you also see uh, both spouses re- redact afterwards. Um, yeah. That's that, that's what happened with Jose, and that's what happened with Euris. So. Uh, you know, like you said, can we can we please stay away from the booze on Halloween? I, I didn't even realize these were both Halloween situations. And if you remember with Jose, if you you know, uh, basically um, the game I always like to compare to Game Four of 1941, 
uh, that World Series, Game 4 of, of uh, the 2015 World Series, instead of uh, Mickey Owen, it was Daniel Murphy. And uh, I, I think maybe that had something to do with it, considering that early, early on in the night, I think he, tweet, he Instagrammed out, let's go Mets on, on Halloween of 2015, uh, watching the game at a bar. So obviously, well, that, was, that, that was actually game one. Oh of, well, uh, I very clearly remember game one. I was thinking, oh how how nice it is that Jose is, is sitting in Hawaii watching uh, watching his old team, even though there's hardly anybody on the team who he was a teammate of anymore. And then uh, you know the police report, which came out later. Uh, I guess it was Halloween. Um, yeah, I don't really want to think about game four of the 2015 <laughs> World yeah. Series right now, though. <laughs> That was, I just, I remember that feeling, but we don't need to get into it because I was on that train coming back from the game. Oh, that was just a, that, that was, that was uh, not a fun environment to be in on those seats uh, in the train, this uh, game seven, but uh, uh, game seven, the seven line, excuse me. Um, but I, I think Jose Reyes is a, a good place to go right now because uh, since Suspet is signed, I've been watching 2016 highlights. I hadn't really uh, gone back. You know, we're coming to the end of the year, so I'm starting to reminisce. Uh, and, and it's it's nice to have back-to-back seasons to reminisce about. Um, although even, you know, even knowing me, I, I remember I was probably uh, looking at the, the quote-unquote highlights from 2012, 2013, and 2014 on YouTube because there's always something to, to uh, edit together. But with Jose, um, I, I don't like the way it happened, the way he came back. Uh, but at the same time, it's really, really nice to have Jose Reyes back in a Mets uniform and... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Gary, I hope it never goes away. I I agree. It was uh, probably not the best way to come back, but I think I don't think he's complaining now. <laughs> you know, uh, he's still getting paid, I guess, from uh, Colorado, and and he's getting the minimum salary here. But he's home. He's happy, and I think he's going to produce. I'm excited to see him over a full year. Um, you know, I don't know if I said this when Greg was on with me a couple of weeks ago, and I may have said it, so Greg, oh, I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but um, I, when he was uh, in Brooklyn, I was, happened, I was at the game, and it was fascinating to watch because he's surrounded by all of these kids, literally, even to him, they're kids, and to watch him go about his job uh, took a walk in the first inning and stole second. And just to watch him run the bases, you know, I said to my wife, I said, I've seen this guy for how many years now, but I've never seen him up this close. And uh, it was just amazing. I watched him, his his at-bats, and, and watched him run the bases. Just an amazing thing. And, and uh, I hope that some of the kids paid attention to that because that that was a true professional, the way he played in that game, the four or five innings that he played. But I, I'm excited to see him back, and and uh, I'm kind of glad they're going to try him in the outfield. What what? How much harm can he do in spring training? Give him a shot. I think he's athletic or not, and that could tell you something. Maybe they are planning to move, trying to move. Uh, both Grandison and Bruce, or maybe they could move Ligaris then if they figure they have uh, 
uh, Reyes can handle the position. You never know. It could open up a lot of things, and, and it open up chances to get him in the lineup, and I guess that's what they're really looking to do. And, you know, one other guy we, we haven't talked about, and I don't know if you're going to talk about him, Sam, but uh, Brandon Nimmo, um, I got to say, I was very impressed with him last year, especially in down the pennant uh, race, when it just seemed like he always seemed to get on base. He seemed to uh, be in the middle, either extending an inning or driving in a run or just, just getting leading off, getting in on base. And a lot of it was done coming off the bench. And that's tough for a young kid. And he seemed to do pretty good at it. I don't think his overall numbers were great, but uh, down the stretch, that that really I noticed that, and I was really impressed with that. How do you think they're going to handle that, Greg? Uh, you know, in this whole outfield talk, we have completely forgotten about Brandon Nimmo, who I, I think I uh, second what what Gary said about that was that I was very impressed with the way he got on base. Um, we, you know. Do you think they're considering him for that fourth or fifth outfield position? Uh, considering uh, you're not going to have you're not going to have Diaz back. You know, uh, if he's there in camp, if he isn't traded, is <clears throat> you know still a uh, a number one draft pick, uh, albeit uh, now six years down the road uh, with limited experience. Uh, they certainly owe, owe him a look. Uh, it was. You know, exhilarating watching him respond the way he did as a pinch hitter. I mean, this is, you know, you're, you're talking about, what, uh, 23 years old guy who probably didn't have 100 plate appearances last year. And, you know, he was Rusty Staub coming off the bench uh, on, on a couple of occasions. Again, small sample size and only because Terry Collins had a 39-man roster with with which to play that he was able to you know, eventually find the right answer sometimes. Uh, you know, he's, he's... You know, remember, uh, Nimmo was the guy who was going to go for Bruce until it became Herrera. And honestly, I don't know that anybody would have necessarily missed Nimmo uh, just because we had been told for three years that Herrera was the second baseman of the future, and now, you know, futures uh, sometimes get deferred. Uh, I'm willing. I'm willing to see what he can do. I mean, he he had some really good swings at times. Uh, you know, has again from a distance because you know, as, as I think, uh, you know, Familia is only the latest example. You don't really know what these guys are like in real life, but, you know, Nimmo seems to have a terrific attitude and seems to have the talent. Uh, I just also wanted to, uh, you know, second what Gary said about about Jose Reyes, that, uh, you know, it was a second chance for him, and it, it took me a long time, to be honest, to sort of not feel a little... I don't know. I don't want to say dirty is not the word, but just kind of feeling like a total hypocrite that this this guy was my favorite player in his glory years as a Met, and I dreamt of the day he would come back. And then he comes back, and there's something Rod Serling-ish about it to the extent that this is not how I wanted him to come back. This is not the Jose Reyes I was in love with as, as a fan. 
But you know what? He did everything they could have possibly wanted, both in terms of performance and in terms of how he approached it. You know, from the moment he showed up in Brooklyn uh, to to get loose, right, right to the end of the year, uh, you know, giving you, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I I say it with all affection that the, the three amigos at the top of the order, in terms of of Reyes and Cabrera and Cespedes, uh, you know, supposedly very all very close together, all kind of. You know, raising each other's game, and we, you know, we saw it in what I think was the game of the year—the one that they won from the Phillies in extra innings. That Cabrera had the walk-off home run. That Reyes had the huge home run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's nice to see that work. Uh, it's nice to have seen. You, know, you you think of the Mets who have come back over the years. It's like I think forty-three now of of former Mets who became Mets again. And most of them are basically John Neese territory, where it's like, oh, he came back. That's right, John Neese was here a second time. Uh, very, very rarely are you, you know, does your euphoria at getting, you know, Roger Cedeno or Jeremy Burnett's or Hubie Brooks or whoever come back a second time, does that ever pay off? And you'd have to say that Reyes, while he's not, you know, the Jose Reyes of 2007 anymore, the Jose Reyes of 2016 was, you know, very valuable and... Kind of, uh, you know, a, a as feel-good a story as something like that could have been. And the fact that he will still be here, the fact that, you know, Knockwood, that everybody's healthy, that he and he and David Wright will be playing on the Mets together in 2016 is, is something, uh, 2017, excuse me, is not something I ever pictured would happen again. So, um, you know, I, and again, he's had the, you know, again, when they say, hey, uh, we want to try in the outfield, sure, you know, but we might want you to play second base. Fantastic. Uh, you know, he played third, but he never played third base before. So, and he did a representative job. So, uh, it's it's really something, and I really hope I'm not putting a jinx on it by being happy about it in December, and, and you know, seeing some horrible headline two weeks from now. But um, it's really something to feel good about. And and, uh, and yeah, so when like. You're, Sorry, no, go just, ahead. Just, just, no, just to finish it, something, something you said before, having two good, two good years to look back on. You're just in a better mood about things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've we've done enough of these podcasts together where we're just sort of shaking our heads <laughs> in December, and um, <laughs> this year we're not. Yeah, you know, I uh, uh, I think Fran, Frank Francisco could really work out. Uh. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, John John Rouch, that tattoo is really anyway. Um, so basically what you're saying is right now Jose Reyes has a chance to be the complete opposite extreme uh, of Bobby Bonilla uh, coming Yeah, back. I think, I, think I, I would like – I have enough faith in humanity that most people are the opposite extreme of Bobby Bonilla. But, yeah, as, as far as what, what I like to call recidivist Mets, uh, I, I think uh, Jose is probably just based on last year and certainly in the upper half. Because, uh, you know, what, once you get past, you know, the Rusty's second act, Lee Mazzilli's second oh, yeah, Rusty. act, yeah, yeah, yeah. Few, other, few other guy. I mean, even Tom Seaver had, you know, a great homecoming and then, you know, it was an okay year and then suddenly he was gone. Um, there aren't that many, you know, you're, you're generally happy to greet these guys again. And then, you know, it's just, it's, you know, the, the second act is never as sweet as the first one, it seems. But, you know, again, and Reyes is a different player now, uh, as, as, you know, age will make somebody. But um, knock wood, it, it's working out. Uh, you know, hey, it worked, it worked well with Kelly Johnson last year, too, come to think of it. So two, two out of the three returnees uh, did, did a fine job. And John Neese, 
live and be well uh, where, <laughs> wherever he goes. <laughs> I have a lot of places to go from there, uh, but I have to first ask, have they signed Kelly Johnson yet? Like, why haven't we taken care of this yet? <laughs> Gary. No, uh, they haven't. I don't know. I think he has to go somewhere else before they, they can right. get they, him back. They've got to give somebody up for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and how about, and just for the hell of it, how about bringing Juan Uribe back when he comes again? <laughs> that's, that's a great, I mean, didn't he get released by Cleveland last year? So he yeah, must be on I, the I, market. I, I assume he gets a, a World Series share, but uh, yeah, he was, he was sitting out there and we didn't grab him. Yeah, no, he he will definitely get a World Series share. Uh, um, it's crazy that he didn't last. Like as they were starting to basically after the Cavaliers won, that's when uh, the Indians took off, and, and it's uh, it, it was pretty shocking to see that they were cutting bait with Juan Uribe, uh, but come August, just because I thought like, oh, you know, that's that's you know, Juan Uribe only makes other teams better into winning teams. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned T.J. Rivera a while ago, and so I'm going to go to the infield uh, here. And oh, you actually, you mentioned Herrera, and that made me, and then T.J. Rivera, but that made me think of the, the second base. Um, Gary, it, it is remarkable, you know, uh, Dilson Herrera was deemed the second baseman of the future. That was how we were sold on Daniel Murphy leaving. And now uh, Neil Walker's back, and there's about three other options for second base. And they've got some pretty good depth right now at that position. It really is funny uh, how things work out. Uh, yeah, they can use Jose there if, if Neil Walker gets hurt again or needs a rest. They can. Uh, Rivera did a decent job there last year, but don't even know if he's going to make the team this year. He, he might probably make it, but um, we'll have to see. Um, who else? Uh, you know, Gavin Ciccini has played some second base in Arizona and is uh, seemingly willing to make uh, the transition. So, uh, like you said, they, they have some depth. They've got L.J. Mazzilli in Binghamton this year. Uh, I think he's going to Binghamton. I'm, I'm not sure or if he's going to Vegas. I don't know if there's any openings in Vegas from there. So, so there is some second baseman there that they can go with and and it is pretty amazing that uh, we're not wondering about the infield anymore uh, shortstop was a big question mark uh, Cabrera took care of that and of course Reyes can can play a little there in, in short spurts if they need him and it's all to usher in uh, Mr. Rosario in the future so um, the, the big question mark is going to be David Wright at third right now and and they're even deep there if you think about it Rivera played third in uh, Vegas so he can go there Jose we talked about played third so they're, they're pretty uh, set I would think in the infield and the big question of course is uh, David Wright at third but you know one, one question I have and you guys can maybe answer they keep talking about moving possibly moving right to first base and I, I think it's easier to play third with his back than it would be first base. Any opinions on that? I could see you. I can understand where you're coming from, uh, considering the stretching that you got to do just with, with the legs alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see that being a little bit of an issue with the lower back. Greg? Yeah, I think uh, asking David Wright to take on a new position at this not so much at this stage of his career, because guys do change positions late in their careers, but uh, 
given what he is dealing with. Uh, I haven't heard as much you know, right to first base, and that, that was always kind of speculative, I thought, to begin with. Um, you know, I expect, you know... <laughs> Not, again, uh, to, to to once again knock wood or, or go find a uh, go find an oak tree and knock that for David Wright. Uh, I would expect if he's going to be playing anywhere, he'll be playing third base. Uh, you know, a little versatility would be nice. Uh, right-handed bat over there and all of that, but uh, I'd I'd be thrilled to see him. You know, come come back and play some at third. I just don't know what you get out of it at this point, though. Which is so sad to say. Yeah. Uh, it, it you know with the whole Duda thing, um, I'm still uh, hung up on Dominic Smith being the future. Uh, it, it's it's really interesting. You're really starting to see this Sandy Alderson era coming together. Uh, you know the Omar Minaya era is long uh, past, and, and 2015 you could argue was kind of the last hurrah. And then Cespedes represents the franchise taking it to the to the next level. Um, and, and you're starting to see, uh, you know, John Neese is phased out. Even Logan Verrett, who I believe was, uh, can somebody, does, if anybody knows this, Gary, maybe you have it. Uh, Logan Verrett was from the Omar Minaya era? Mm, I don't know offhand. You got me there. Well, I, you know, the Eric Campbell era has long passed as well. That, that is now behind <laughs> behind us, and I wish him the best of luck. I'll continuously wish him the best of luck. It was quite a time to be alive, the Eric Campbell era. <laughs> You know, apparently the word is that he's going to be uh, starting and cleanup for, uh, I think it's the Hanshin Tigers. Um, I, I uh, His agent, uh, who is also Ike Davis's agent, uh, helped me get in touch with Larry King. So I will always have an affinity for both Ike Davis and for Eric Campbell personally uh, because of that. And uh, thank you out there to his agent. Uh, for that, if if he ever listens uh, to to Mets blog <laughs> podcast, but um, I, I'll I'll go a, a little less serious. Although some people might think this is very very serious. Uh, Greg, are you worried about the fact that Noah Syndergaard is playing Santa? Uh, before I get to that, just want to clarify: Logan Verrett was uh, drafted uh, under the Alderson regime in 2011. Their oh, first year. Okay. okay. Um, am I worried about Thor? Playing Santa Claus, uh, only I suppose if he you know hits hits his head on the chimney. Um, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you can't have faith in Noah Syndergaard vis a vis the uh, alleged Santa Claus curse, um, you know, let's just let's just stop having Christmas <laughs> because <laughs> because I don't want to be without uh, no 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 offense to those who celebrate it and no offense to the kids who who are looking forward to their presents but I don't want to live in a world where all of our players go down a uh, a red and green hole <laughs> for December 25th or whatever year whatever date they have the holiday party uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm I'm going to have faith uh, that uh, Thor will uh, will will come through just like a champ what was it, Gary? Wilmer Flores last year? Um, I think so. Uh, I don't know. I'm I, old. Dave, <laughs> David Wright did it one year, and he was yeah. fine for several years. For several so. years, but then. Well, <laughs> you know, catching up to him. <laughs> right, right. It's, well, you know, ba- you know, Babe Ruth was probably on the cover of a magazine. He's dead now, so what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> 
it's that Life Magazine curse. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, I and, I have, and I haven't gotten my copy of Collier's in ages. So. <laughs> the yeah. Cubs broke the Sports Illustrated. Well, didn't break the Sports Illustrated curse necessarily, but but uh, uh, did their best to refute it um, after they they were put on the cover in a a pretty pretty uh, uh, clever sporting news yeah. from 1908 replication, but with the 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, team on it and i'm not sure if you guys also saw this but the new york times had a uh i forget the original whether there was a specific team for the original uh uh norm norman rockwell painting um but they they had a sports cover ready to go had the indians won and it was uh basically the original Norman Rockwell, except with all the different Cubs players and random Cleveland uh, stars in the in the seats where where the audience is laughing, where the where the uh, the crowd is laughing at the team that is that is uh, ever futile, um, and and they ran it as a this is what it would have been, and it was pretty pretty neat thing. Uh, I'll ha- I'll have to tweet it at some point, uh, but we're getting close to the end of the podcast, so. I, uh, I'm going to go to Greg first for his last word. Um, well, I, have, I haven't had a chance to work it in artfully, so I will say that my last word is Mike Piazza, a book I have coming out in a few months. Um, it is in the editing process now, the, the story of uh, Piazza and the Mets and how they, were, uh, how they were meant for each other, I guess you'd say. Uh, they needed each other, and they came together in uh, in the '90s and uh, lived happily ever after to a certain degree. And uh, it's, it's a story of how we, uh, you know, we, we come to idolize our, our our superstars and how we enshrine them and how they stay with us for years to come. So uh, that book will be out in March. So um, you know, as, as the uh, the Hall of Fame uh, voting. Uh, becomes a bigger and bigger topic. I, I find myself this December, unlike the last several Decembers and early Januaries, not really caring <laughs> who, is, who is elected. I mean, good luck to Tim Raines and uh, Vladimir Guerrero and, and whoever else is on the ballot who, who I can uh, Among those I can stand. Um, we've got our guy in, and we're, we're pretty good for a couple of years uh, with that, I figure. I also want to give a... Uh, uh, I don't know if he's going to win this award, uh, they will announce it on December seventh. But uh, Gary Cohn is up for the Ford C. Frick Award. That's right. Uh, absolutely, completely merited. I don't know if he'll win it because this is part of this is kind of a lifetime achievement. They've got like nine other perfectly deserving announcers who were uh, nominated. Uh, I think it's telling that Gary has been doing it. I mean, though he's been doing it a long time, like twenty-eight years. Um, if you look at all the nominees, uh, they've all most of them have been doing it longer. Have been on the job as a regular TV or radio guy for a team, um, which just goes to show you that Gary Cohn is, uh, I guess you would say, ahead of his time. Uh, has made a great impact. I, I don't think he's nearly, nearly appreciated enough uh, in 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 the country in the community of baseball fans uh, as he should be. Uh, you know, he, he did some great radio work for years for a, for a team that wasn't very good, uh, even when the team was very good in those Mike Piazza years. Um, you know, they're just the Mets were overshadowed in their own market, and 
it's one of the, the bonuses of having a team that goes to the playoffs and contends is that when you have great play-by-play guys like Gary Conan, like Howie Rose, uh, it's not just our little secret. I mean, for, for fans like us who are going to listen or watch no matter what, uh, you know, we know how great these guys are. But, you know, when the team is going 74 and 88, it's kind of, you know, our little secret, uh, which is, is fine as far as it goes, except when you kind of turn around and you hear about great announcers being talked about, you know, not talking about Vin Scully, mind you, but just, you know, you know, whoever the announcers are for other teams that are doing well. And you say, hey, what about our guy? Uh, so it's, you know, just as a fan, as, as a listener, as somebody who watches SNY almost every night of the season, if I can, uh, it's just very gratifying to see Gary Cohn get this kind of notice. And if he doesn't get this award this year, I'm certain it's in his future. And um, again, he's he's back for next year. He'd uh, I, I don't think there's ever any doubt he'd be back, but he signed a new contract, and uh, we we can look forward. Uh, you know, it can't get here soon enough. Obviously, less than four months from now. Um, to, to, to more uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron. So um, that uh, I probably uh, at some point uh, the, the next time I'm, I'm just sitting watching television, I'm going to flip around and say, God, I hope there's a Mets classic on, even if it's one I've seen 64 <laughs> times. Like, uh, you know, uh, Andy Chavez putting down a bunt to beat the Rockies in 2007. I will watch at least some of it, because I will get to hear Gary Cohn in winter. Angel Pagan, I like to call him Angel Pagan. <laughs> Angel Pagan walking off against the Cardinals in 2011. Yes. That's classic. Rod, Rod Barajas and Ike Davis each hitting two home runs against the Giants. Uh, <laughs> there you, 2010, show it again. Why not? It, it seems as if Gary Cohen has never had any national aspirations, and maybe that's another one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people don't know him. I also yeah, think well, I also think that he, nationally there are a lot more vanilla guys hired. Not not to take anything away from Kevin Burkhardt, I think he's excellent. Uh, but like Joe Buck, Joe Buck, the thing that that people from like let's say uh, Chicago or New York don't like about it is just how plain he is. Because we got characters, for, you know, for our announcers, whether it be radio oh. or or television. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that's a little different now than 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 my our, our perception might not have caught up caught up with the reality of the idea of national announcers is if you think about it, there really isn't that m- much of a window for a national announcer. I mean, Joe Buck may be the last of his kind, for better or for worse, because you know he is the guy who does Major League Baseball's postseason, or at least you know half of the postseason until the World Series, and then he does the World Series. I mean, there really isn't any great exposure in doing a game of the week anymore because nobody even knows when the game of the week is on. There is no more, oh boy, it's Saturday afternoon, I have to watch this game. I mean, Fox pretty much has buried that. And, you know, that we all have access to as many local games as we want. And there just isn't that... I don't think there, there's quite that cachet anymore to being a quote-unquote national announcer. I mean, Ron Darling goes off and does a game on Sunday afternoons on TBS that, quite frankly, I have never thought to watch because either <laughs> it's blacked out because he's doing a Met or a Yankee game or because I don't care because there's a Met game on. Um, it's just, like again, when you think of a national announcer, you think of somebody like Bob Costa. If you think of Kevin Burkhardt, I think he's a great example. I mean, he's got a, he, he has a whole hosting 
role at Fox that is probably, you know, more exposure than, you know, he has the NFL. Gary Cohn, I, as far as I know, never wanted to do anything other than Met games, and he does Seton Hall uh, to keep keep himself sharp in the off season. I mean, he used to do, uh, he did some ESPN radio in the postseason when the Mets weren't involved. Uh, I think he did he did CBS radio's game of the week back in the nineties. So, you know, he's, he's done those things, but it, for whatever reason, you know, his profile was never raised that high until, you know, SNY became quite frankly, must see TV in the last decade. And I, I think being on the air in New York, you know, 150 or so games a year is probably as much visibility as you could hope for in baseball today versus the idea of being, you know, the guy who did the game of the week on, you know, again, maybe back in the day when, you know, it was a big deal to tune in NBC and see Tony Kubek and Joe Garagiola when I was a kid. Um, that just doesn't exist anymore. Right. So for whatever reason, you know, I think it's taken a long time to be for him to be completely appreciated. So the Ford Frick Award, uh, even just to be nominated, as they say, um, I, I think is, is great. I don't even want to call it validation because to me the guy has always been you know among the best, but it's 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 great to see him recognized by others who who do the recognizing. Um, I I think that they are the three of them especially are now the best in baseball now that Vince Scully has has left and it's nice to have them. Uh, it, it's nice to have that. It's just there's there's always. Uh, you know, a, a hanging out type of, of feeling that, that you're just, you're a part of their conversation. You're, you're there. Uh, it's just, you flip over on so many different uh, baseball channels. And I, I can only think of the Dodger guys are pretty good outside of Vince Scully as well. Uh, the Cubs guys are pretty good. Uh, Gary Thorne, uh, who I believe used to do Met games as well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. is now with the Orioles. And, and I think Gary Corn, uh, Gary Thorne, I've always liked his voice. Um, but the only other person like, like outside of baseball, the only other person that I can think about that, that I really appreciate who does, who I, I really appreciate gets seen on a national level is Mike Breen of the New York Knicks. I think he's a a spectacular, uh, uh, announcer and, um, I'm glad that he gets basically every ESPN game every week and plus the playoffs as well. Um, And, and a big Mets fan. Oh, that that is that's right. I I do remember seeing him at a Mets game once. I think so. So yeah. that's nice to hear as well. Um, and, and before going to Gary for his last word, I'll I'll finish off with this. Um, it it's it's nice that Cespedes has gone from being compared to Don Clendenin and now being compared to the Cespedes. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, uh, Cespedes being compared at first to Don Clendenin and now getting compared to the Piazza uh, signing. Well, it's more uh, short-term to long-term. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gary, what is your last word? Well, I was going to uh, plug Greg's book, but he took that away. So, Don't uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, keep it going. Keep the plug going. And and, and by the way, Greg, uh, Greg, I cannot wait to read the book. I loved your last book, Amazing Again. And I will help plug, if anybody hasn't read about the 2015 New York Mets as seen through Greg Prince's eyes, which, as I like to call the Mets fan incarnate, so all of our eyes, uh, go go to Amazon.com and get Amazing Again. Thanks. Yes, and, okay. and pre-order Piazza, and if I might, uh, uh, former Major League pitcher Mark Littell has a book out now called On the Eighth Day, God Created Baseball. 
go check that out as well. Uh, got a lot of funny stories on there as well. And, uh, of course, Greg's books. Books, I said, with an S, Greg. Um, he's got more than one, so go check them all out and buy them your, all. They're your, good your, books. Your, your, your kickback is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I got a letter from your publicist. <laughs> Uh, beautiful. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I I don't know how, what to add to that. Just that, uh, yeah. Congratulations to Gary Cohen for being nominated, if that's the correct term, and uh, hopefully he'll win. He certainly deserves it, and we are very fortunate in New York City to uh, have that that uh, crew there. They are. Uh, terrific, you know. I think Gary Cohn is the perfect uh, uh, master of ceremonies with that circus. There, it's a three-ring circus sometimes with those guys, especially with Keith Hernandez there, who who I think is is uh, underestimated as well. I think he's uh, terrific. I think he grows every year into the role, uh, and uh, I think. Gary knows how to steer him right to what he wants him to say, and I think that's a terrific job that he does. So um, I'm just going to say my last words or that uh, uh, hope the Mets can pull off a trade and uh, get, get fill some of the, the small pieces that are yet to be uh, filled. And I hope that everybody that listens to this show will also go over and listen to Mets Musings when you get a chance at MetsMusings.com. And uh, if I'm not on again until the new year, happy holidays to everybody. Absolutely, and we'll we'll have to uh, keep keep ourselves posted on that one. Uh, definitely, everybody needs to go listen to Mets Music. It's a, it's a fantastic podcast. Mm-hmm. And coming uh, coming up this coming June, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones podcast will be back, and that's always a, a fun yes. one as well uh, for for you, Gary. So yes. uh, looking forward to that. I always look forward to some Brooklyn Cyclones baseball. Brooklyn baseball, baby. Um, I'm going to leave with uh, what I've decided to do every week as long as Mike LeColant, the Brooklyn trolley blogger, is not here. And every every week, as long as he's on the podcast, he always calls for the Mets to have a a legitimate uh, a a legitimate dedication and memorial to Joan Payson. And the what I went for a couple podcasts ago, if not the last one, was that. Uh, they're lacking with statues. Uh, you know, the Wilpons have always been um, accused, especially since City Field, of not really honoring Mets baseball, Mets the Mets franchise, and, and the history of the Mets franchise. And um, I think they've done a better job over the years, but they could still take it a step further. I'm not sure why there's not a statue of Seaver. I would say you get three statues all around, uh, with Mr. Met representing the fans, or, or some some other some other kind of statue that you can do to really uh, uh, to to really honor the Met fan base as as they've been called since they came aboard as the new breed. I think that would be uh, really nice because it the the way the the fan base has gone over the you know over the history. I think they have everything to do with the the team and you know and and. and representing what they were coming out of with having lost two two teams, I think uh, that would be uh, nice. And I think that considering that Joan Payson was the first female owner in Major League Baseball history, 
uh, I, I'm correct when I say that, right, Gary? Right, Greg? As far as I know. Right. Yes, as far as I know. And that's why she seriously deserves uh, some kind of honor, uh, if not a statue. I think that would be really spectacular if uh, we're not just looking at the, the uh, home run apple when it comes when we're, we're approaching City Field, but if we were looking at something that, uh, that not only with Tom Seaver that you can teach your kids, but also um, with the first female owner in the history of Major League Baseball, you, can, you could uh, point to and say to your kids that that was the first female owner in the history of baseball, and she helped bring baseball back to New York and the National League side. Uh, so somehow, some way, they need to figure out how to honor Joan Payson, and they need to do it as soon as possible. And we, we need to bring this... Uh, we, we, we need to bring this call to a, a whole nother level. So we're, we're going to be working on that, uh, not only in the, uh, to finish off the year, but to, uh, you know, come 2017. So uh, we will definitely be on before the end of the year. Uh, and I, I have to thank uh, Greg, Greg Prince first, uh, for coming on. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. And Gary, always a pleasure as well. Thank you very much. Always, always enjoy coming on with you guys. And we enjoy having you on. And, and thank you to all our listeners out there for listening in to the Rising Apple Report. And as always, let's go Mets. El nuevo crispy chicken sandwich de McDonald's es... Crujiente, tiernito, oh. Es pollo la McDonald's. Un mordisco y... Wow. Es el nuevo crispy chicken sandwich. Ordena por anticipado en el lab de McDonald's. Ba -ba -ba -ba. En McDonald's participantes.